Amen. Praise the Lord. Remain standing for prayer because we are all standing in the need of prayer. We are all standing in the need of prayer today because it is March Madness. And it is March Madness, and March Madness has afflicted us today. It's the first time I think I can ever recall that on the same Sunday, fans both from Missouri and Kansas had their dreams shattered. I'm not talking about the brackets. I'm talking about the game. And so everybody, you know, nobody, I'm the only one back there clapping. Nobody else even clapping. You know, because I, I, so I understand it's, you know, it's a March Madness is a mess. It will do that to you. And so, so today we're going to get you out of that mess of March mad, Madness. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're going to have Blue Springs Revival. Okay, so that's what I'm going to say, Alan, how could you be so bold as to say we're going to have Blue Springs Revival? Well, Bible says spirit, spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. And I know how to get the Spirit subject to me because I'm subject to Him. The Holy Spirit always answers to the Word. So we are going to have Blue Springs Revival. Now, one component of that you may have noticed as you walk in because we got this um, blue neon sign at the revived prayer wall where you can put up requests. Now, just putting up a request is not praying, but uh, we do pray that over those Sunday nights in our prayer time on Sunday nights. So, so we revived the prayer wall, and uh, we got so much other stuff coming, coming in and going on. Poor, poor Ahemplo, um, several of you in here are leaving this week to go to Stockton, Kansas to do a discipleship refresh there in Kansas. If you are one of those, raise your hand. If someone near you is raising their hand, will you just put a hand on them? So, because we're going to pray here in a second, so just lay hands on them as we pray. Um, I will have to bug out of here as soon as the praise team sends us out singing today. Uh, please don't think ill of me for leaving while the song's going on. But I've got to catch a flight to Atlanta for the Living Faith Fellowship Discipleship Conference uh, down at Oakland Heights Baptist Church, and so I just got to. I got it's. I got to get there, and uh, so so I will be getting out quick. Do not let that keep you from responding, coming forward, or getting prayer, or anything you need. So, uh, so uh, with hands on the people who are going to Stockton, and uh, otherwise bump elbows with the neighbor next to you, and let's go to God in prayer. Father, we're thankful we can come before you, and it doesn't matter the mess, doesn't matter the melancholy because of the madness this month of March. And Lord, we think madness started when a 16 seed beat a first seed in the opening round. No, that madness started at Asbury. I mean, it started with the Asbury Revival. That kicked off March Madness. Lord, we need the Word of God to guide us, to direct us, to let us define and see exactly what, what the fight is that is forming up for us in this day, in this age and in this hour. So, Father, I pray you'd open your word, Lord, Holy Spirit, answer to your word today as we study it together. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. amen. Thank you. you. may be seated in the Lord's presence. And, uh, you know, so I'm going to... Blue Springs Revival, so it's going to be every Sunday here at 9 and 1045, and particularly through 
Easter Sunday, now through Easter Sunday, because um, we're going to be talking about an escape. And escape rooms are where a team of players discover clues and solve puzzles and accomplish certain tasks uh, in one or more rooms in order to get to a specific goal in a limited amount of time. And if they accomplish that goal, then their team escapes from that room. Now, most people that you and I know are trapped right now in ignorance, in fear, in darkness, and one day will be trapped eternally in a room from which they cannot escape. And yet they don't even know they're trapped. So for these four weeks leading up and through Easter Sunday, I'm going to give you the keys to release yourself and others from these various escape rooms, starting with the one today, which is ignorance. You know, there was a young man born in Louisville, Kentucky. He was a descendant of slaves, but he also had Irish and English uh, family heritage, and he was dyslexic. That made it hard for him to read. Uh, he was named after his father, who was a Methodist, but his mother was a Baptist, and so the kids always went with mom to the Baptist church. And for his 12th birthday, his mom and dad scraped together enough money to buy him a brand new red bicycle. But just a few days after having that red bicycle, somebody stole it. He was enraged. That boy went looking for the thief. And in the process, he encountered a policeman. And so the policeman just asked him, well, what are you going to do if you catch the boy, you find the thief who took your bike? And he said, I'm going to whoop him. And it was obvious to the cop that, the, you know, if that boy ever did find the person who stole his bike, he might not just lose the bike, but he might get beaten up in the process. So the policeman just said, well, you better learn to box first. You better learn to box. So they went together to a nearby sports center, and the policeman started teaching the boy how to box, and then he began working with a trainer named Fred Stoner, and now as we reach Matthew chapter 16, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, because it's going to help you realize how for the last couple of years of Jesus' ministry, he has been training his disciples for a fight that they did not even understand. And yet this is such a critical part of their training that Jesus takes them out of their comfort zone, out of the familiar land of Galilee, and into an unsettling boxing ring on the border. So in Matthew 16, Jesus takes his disciples up north past the Sea of Galilee. Now north in the Bible is the direction of God's throne. Psalm 48.2, Isaiah 14.1. But that is not what they find on this excursion. They go to the capital of Herod Philip, the Tetrarch, so it is called Caesarea Philippi. Jesus' headquarters was at Capernaum, south of the lake. They are now north, about 25 miles, right at the base of Mount Hermon, in a place called Caesarea Philippi. It was an unsettling atmosphere for good Jews, because that was the stairway to hell. Caesarea Philippi was just the heart, uh, the beating heart of the kind of pagan worship that God always condemned. So it was a place of pagan devils and unclean spirits, and they were worshipped through certain idols, 
and certain festivals. And this was the seat of Satan at the time. It is later transferred to Smyrna, according to opening chapters of the book of Revelation, and eventually to Mystery Babylon the Great. But at this time, there in Caesarea Philippi and at its underworld cavern, there was a pagan temple built out front that was referred to as the Gates of Hell. And Jesus stands here, and they're now surrounded by 14 temples to Baal, one to Caesar, and the nearby cave is said to be the birthplace of the Greek god of nature, Pan, which is why it was also called Panyas, or if you go with us on the trip to Israel this fall, Banyas. And we will see this place, and at those temples embodied in those idols was all of the power of paganism, the wickedness of ungodliness, the dominion of the devil himself. And you and I are called to the very same fight that Jesus is preparing his disciples for. Now, I know you don't believe me, but I've been told you believe the Bible. So, 1 Timothy 6, look out on your handout, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. 2 Timothy 2, verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Ephesians six thirteen. Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The evil day is coming. You know, Jesus said in the garden, This is your hour and the power of darkness. You can't stop the evil day. You can't make it any shorter than the day that it is. But all you got to do is stand. And so having done all to stand. So there's a fight shaping up right now between you and the devil. Now, if, since, since everybody else feels like they can prophesy, well, I'm going to prophesy this morning. And this is my prophecy over you. There is a fight shaping up right now between you and the devil. And if you're going to whoop him, you better learn to box. So this is a scary place for good Jews to be, a scary time and condition for us to be in. But, but it is here that Jesus takes his disciples to prepare them mentally for the fight that lay ahead. And Jesus knows what the religious leaders say about him. They, he knows that they claim that he's casting out devils by the power of the devil himself, Beelzebub. Now that's kind of projection, reverse projection there, because uh, later on, um, Daniel 9, Jews will make a, their own covenant, their own league with the devil, Acts 9, verses 24 to 27, uh, in the person of the Antichrist. They'll make their league with him, but here they accuse Jesus of doing that. And so now Jesus takes his disciples, he's beginning their training to confront this, and he does it with one simple question, which is going to eliminate their ignorance and yours about this battle that you have to fight with the devil. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And, you know, just like uh, in our Harvest Kids classes, several of them start to shout out an answer. Verse 14, and they said, well, some say that thou art John the Baptist. And that was the opinion of King Herod, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. 
So not only was John the Baptist confused for Jesus in John 1, uh, but also Jesus is now being confused with a reincarnation of John the Baptist because some Jews were so off base, they believed in reincarnation. And certainly Herod did, being, you know, a pagan Jew. And then verse 14, some Elias. And they had a right to expect Elijah to show up before the Messiah is coming. Malachi 4, 5 tells them that. And he will still show up before the second advent. Matthew 17, verses 10, 11. Revelation 11, verses 3 to 8. But, but this is why they confuse both Jesus and John the Baptist with being Elias. Now verse 14, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Why? Because Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 seems like such an unfulfilled commission. I mean, Jeremiah 1 5, God tells Jeremiah, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. And that never happened in, in Jeremiah's lifetime. So they're thinking maybe Jeremiah's coming back. Jeremiah doesn't need to come back because Jesus is such a good picture of him. Jesus, Jeremiah is the last prophet to the last remnant of the nation. And he's the only one ejected from the land by his own people. Back in Matthew 16, verse 15, And Jesus saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So let me give you your Easter escape. We're going to start the Blue Springs Revival because I want to give you some discoveries to dispel your ignorance. (coughs) I want you to notice three key discoveries surrounding that question. First thing is, who do you say that Jesus is? What is the true identity of Jesus? And are you in Christ? So if you are going to be prepared for the fight we have to face with the devil, it's got to start right there. So here's discovery number one. Most people are woefully mistaken concerning Jesus. Why? Well, for one thing, many people see him just as a special man. So he was a good man. He was a great teacher and... You know, and they will say, well, I can try and follow his teachings, and and I know if I do that, it'll make me a better person. But second, some people are mistaken because they see Jesus as a crazy man. So atheists, agnostics will say he had delusions of grandeur. Nobody will claim to be God or Napoleon unless they are cray-cray. And finally, some people are mistaken. This letter C, because... And this didn't happen in the first century. This didn't happen in Jesus' day or the apostles. They knew better than this. But in our day, they say, Jesus is a myth man. Now, not Mothman. Mothman is either real or a fictional figure in Ohio lore. Just like Momo, the Missouri monster, is here. But some people say Jesus was also make-believe and he didn't really even exist. And all of those are mistaken ideas. And Jesus himself dispels that ignorance. Watch verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Okay, Barjona means son of Jonah. Jonah was the prophet that God sent to the ancient equivalent of Panias. 
God sent Jonah to a city called Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Jonah preached to tell a people to repent because judgment was coming from God. If God had told him just to go do that, he would have done it no problem. But God said, no, tell them they got 40 days. And Jonah's like, ah, 40 days. Wait, I know you and I know them and I know you and I know they have a free will and I know that you're sovereign, but I know that you are so sovereign you don't trump their free will. If you, don't, if you don't wipe them out as soon as I get there, as soon as I leave, that's too much a risk to take because they may repent and then you won't destroy them like you said. So what God did for the Ninevites, God is doing through you today. In the Panius, in the Pandemonium, which means every little devil in the March madness and mess in which we exist. Because once we give up our ignorance, and this is discovery number two, we see how the Bible is crystal clear concerning Jesus. First off, Jesus is the Son of Man. That was his favorite name for himself. John 1 verse 18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. So no one's seen the soul of God, but they have seen the Son of God. And the, his favorite title, Son of Man, was because, you know, in eternity past, he lived in the presence of God as the Son of God. But once he was begotten, once he was born to a woman, he became permanently human, Son of Man. And... I, and he likes that because he came to save us. So secondly, the Bible's very clear in this letter B that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Well, now, we read that in chapter 1, verse 18 of John, but look at it in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Stop. All the Catholics stop right there. They leave him on the crucifix. So we're talking Easter escape right now. Uh, not only them, all the Charismatics Leave him there and make you think they preached the gospel by stopping at that spot. And they're not going to tell you that you can, they're not going to finish the verse that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They're not going to go with John 3 that you can be born again. Because for most of those groups, being born again means you got baptized in water. So they're going to, they're going to go with the scripture. They have their own doctrines of demons that they follow. So I think you need to join the Blue Springs Revival. You need to join the, and you need to invite people to come to the Blue Springs Revival every Sunday, 9 and 1045, because my goal is that every week I'm going to show you how your Bible is better and how you can read it better. I mean, I'm either going to show you how your Bible is better or how you can read it better. I'm going to start right here because the adjectives are important. So if your translation corrupts them, then you need to go back to God and back, you know, back to God's actual words in the King James Bible. I'm just saying. 
because the Christian Standard Bible and the NIV pervert this verse into saying that Jesus was God's one and only Son. Now, the ESV and the New American Standard don't even give him that much credit and say, well, this was God's only Son, not even one and only. And the Greek word is monogenes, monogenesis, uh, 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 only begotten. And they refuse to translate it because they don't believe it. And they don't want you to believe it. And that's true of every single modern translation. So these are perversions, they are corruptions. And we need a Blue Springs revival. The Spirit of God answers to the Word of God. You need to get the Word of God in your life so you have the power of God to fight this battle. You better learn how to box. Why is it wrong? Why is it wrong to, to not say that He was the only begotten Son? Because God has other sons of God in the Bible. Both angelic and us who get born again. So Jesus, but Jesus is the only begotten one because he was born physically that way. And that means this letter C, that means Jesus is the God man. That is why those verses are changed. They don't want to get you down to this. John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Okay, wait, hold it. Now, now this, is, this, is, uh, this is big W word, right? This is big W word. And we know that, well, we say that refers to Jesus. And, and it does, but it doesn't say Jesus. It doesn't say Jesus was made flesh and dwelt among us. It says the word. We've got the word. We can have it in our hands. And we can read and know it is God's words full of grace and truth. And this is so important. Jesus says, look, Peter, you may be smart and you may be right, but it's only because of supernatural insight. So you now know by divine revelation, not because you figured it out, but by divine revelation what the devil and devils know by past experience. Mark 1.24. And, you know, and I'll just point out to you that the James gang never calls them demons like all the modern Bibles do. Why is that? Because demons is not a translation. It's a transliteration of the Greek term. And that term in the Greek was neutral. That term in the Greek was neutral. They had good demons and bad demons just like Muslims have good jinns and bad jinns. So you got to translate that word to get your doctrine straight. Otherwise, the new translations are just preparing you for familiar spirits, seducing spirits, in addition to God's Holy Spirit. Now that is Asbury revival. We need a Blue Springs revival. And that Blue Springs revival based on the fact that we know the battle we are against. And we know who the Holy Spirit is. We know how we got baptized in Him. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. As soon as you got saved, Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. You got baptized 
with the Spirit, by the Spirit, as soon as you got saved. That happened when you got saved. Asbury Revival doesn't teach that. Hillsong doesn't teach that. All the 24-7 prayer movements do not teach that. Everybody got to have their gimmick. They got their gimmick. They don't teach that. They, they defy what 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says. And they say, it is repent, believe, be baptized in water, and then be baptized or filled. They don't even know the difference between the two. With the Holy Spirit. That is what they say. They'll never talk about being born again in the way Jesus does because in their theology, being baptized in water is being born again. So repent, believe, be baptized in water. But then as soon as that is done, you need to believe and receive to get the, ho- the what they call the Holy Spirit. Just like you believed and to receive Jesus. And the evidence that you got him is that you will speak in tongues, as well as other sign gifts, Uh, particularly things like healing and deliverance, because at every one of these other revivals, when Satan congregates together all the people he, his devils, have bound physically and then unbinds them, at that event, it fools the whole crowd. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deliverance. Uh, when, uh, okay, those people he's afflicted physically, if he unafflicts them at that event, it fools the whole crowd. And then they buy into this idea. So look, we don't get baptized. We get baptized with the Holy Spirit when you got saved. That's simply what the Bible says. And we know how you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, compare that with Colossians 3.16. You get filled with the Holy Spirit when you let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly because the Spirit answers to the Word. Okay, so you tell me, what spirit do they get? At best, it's a familiar spirit and a seducing spirit. Um... At best, it is a demon, some of which are innocuous or can, you know, it's a familiar spirit because um, you get along and it, and it tells you things you need to know at times you need to know it. And well, then that must, you know, that must be the Holy Spirit. No, it's a familiar spirit. It is an attachment demon. It's a familiar spirit. But what the Bible lets you know is no, it's devils. Okay. Well, we need a Blue Springs revival. You got to translate that word to get your doctrine straight. Now, today, you know, we acknowledge that there are white witches, and yet we tend to use the word demon almost exclusively in a bad connotation. So colloquially, we may call them demons. But you need to understand just exactly what they are so that you will know the fight that is forming. And how, this is letter D, how Jesus is the one and only Christ our Savior. And that has to be the profession of every person who is a Christian by being born again. Watch, look at John, there on your handout, John 1 verse 12 and 13. But as many as received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. 
Jesus died to save you, fine. But you are not saved unless you make a personal response. Unless with your will, you for yourself believe on his name. And then you are born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, not in somebody's bathtub when they baptized you. You're born of God. You're born spiritually. And you can see right there that God still does not have only one son. If you're saved, he's got other sons of God. Jesus was not the one and only son. That is a lie. Why did they even mistranslate that? I don't even understand. It's because March Madness. It is because the day we live in is because we have missed learning how to box. We've missed the fight that is forming. We don't even know the enemy. So you better stick with God's words in the English authorized version. And it's true. We are not all the way sons of God yet because we do not yet have the body for it. But since our spirit is born again and our soul is redeemed, then our bodies are going to be resurrected and glorified. So 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And yet, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, outwardly, physically, but we know that when he shall appear, we'll be, I mean, we're like him right now. Spirit and soul, saved. Body, not so much. Uh, two natures still inside. We got a body of flesh. But when he shows up, we'll be like him. Because we'll see him as he is. When he shows up at the rapture, our bodies are changed. If you already died ahead of time, you know, no problemo. He'll raise you, your body from the dead changed. But beloved, let's don't stop there because we need a complete escape. This discovery number three, even believers are ignorant of Jesus' mission and vision. So Jesus takes this moment to reveal his plan for his body, this church. Verse 18 of Matthew 16, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell. Okay, wait. Christian Standard Bible, New American Standard, NIV, and even the new King James refused to translate the word hell. Hello, somebody. I thought they were translators. And all they do is boycott hell. They forget all of their skills at translating. They simply transliterate the Greek word Hades, with no translation at all, and for the same reason. Demons instead of devils, because demons has a neutral force as well. And, you know, there needs to be balance in the universe. Uh, no. Devils is what they are, even if it is a seemingly to you holy familiar spirit. Uh, likewise, no, this is, he's talking about hell here. Hades is a neutral term. It had good side and bad side. It had Abraham's bosom, and that's where Lazarus was at. And then it had the part where the rich man was suffering in torments. Now, besides not translating hell and just transliterating the Greek word, which is neutral, then the Holman Christian Standard Bible, the RSV, the CEV, the ERV, good news for modern men. They don't, they don't call it that anymore because that's too misogynist. So good news translation. Uh, Phillips, the Living Bible, the New Christian Version, New Century Version, and the New Living Translation, they all change the gates 
to either powers or forces, a word which is not in any Greek text on this planet. Hello, somebody, so much for readability or accuracy. I want you to next notice in this passage that the word Peter and the word rock are not the same word. And the only language in which those two words are the same is Aramaic. So Matthew, who writes in Greek, makes sure to let you know that two different Greek words are being used. Therefore, the King James translators who write in English are sure to let you know two Greek words, or you know, two different words here, Peter and rock. Jesus doesn't say, thou art Peter, and upon this Peter I build my church. I mean, that's just awkward. (laughs) Um, uh, And he doesn't say, thou art the rock, and upon this rock I build that church. He doesn't say that. He points to Peter and says, you're Petros, a stone, and then points to himself and says, I'll build my church on this Petra, the rock that that stone came out of. You say, Alan, how do you know? Because the Bible tells me so. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ, not Peter. Jesus is the foundation stone. Jesus is the footing that this church is built upon. Ephesians 2.20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now once you get a foundation laid, then that's done. Uh, although Asbury Revival and other movements will push the five-fold apostolic renewal starting with apostles and prophets. Now, it doesn't matter that the Bible gives qualifications for, a, for an apostle that no one today could meet. I mean, it's kind of like the admiral. You know, the admiral... Somebody reported to the admiral, hey, they're firing torpedoes at us. And he said, well, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. And, you know, God help us. They say, damn the Bible, full speed ahead. Apostles, we are apostles. We have apostles. Prophets, your Bible is not sufficient. Listen to what I say over you. That is the fight that is formed. That is the madness of March. That is the pandemonium. Every little devil. And uh, so uh, Christ himself, Ephesians 2.20, is the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the capstone above what was built on that foundation of the apostles and prophets and built by us. So he's the rock that stabilizes and completes the structure. Under Moses in the wilderness, the Jews who escaped that escape room in Egypt, we call it the Exodus, 1 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says that they all did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Jesus himself says he's the rock, Matthew 21, verses 42 and 44. Paul confesses that, that the rock is Christ. First, here in 1 Corinthians 10, Peter confesses. The first pope confesses that the rock is Christ, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 and 8. And that is the rock that Peter built upon and we build on as Jesus uses us in the fight that is formed. And all I'm trying to say is dispel your ignorance about Jesus' vision and our mission 
Watch, look at Matthew 16, verse 19. You need to escape. You need to get other people out who are bound. Verse 19, here's what will happen. I'll give you unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever thou shalt bind, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So hell is a place. Deuteronomy 32 and other verses. Hell has bars and gates. Job 17 and other verses. Keys are good for gates and doors related to ministry. 1 Corinthians 16.9 and 2 Corinthians 2.12. And keys are needed to open and let out and to close and keep in. Revelation 1.18, 3.7 and 8 and chapter 9 verse 1. So the keys are not getting into heaven. The keys belong to the kingdom of heaven, which is the second coming rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And these keys carry his kingdom authority so that hell cannot prevail over us. Peter uses the keys. He opens the door of faith to Jewish leaders in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. And then he opens it personally to the rulers, the elders, the scribes, and the high priests in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. When they all reject it, then Peter uses those keys and exercises that authority to open the door of faith to Gentiles in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15. Other examples, loosing and binding occur in Galatians 2 and 2 Corinthians 2. And what I find by way of simple English Bible exegesis is that Moses had a church, Acts 7.38. Jesus has this church he's building right now. And the devil has a synagogue, Revelation 2.9, and a city with gates, Revelation 17.5, whose keys he used to control, Revelation 1.18. So binding and loosing are given in the context of the gates of hell, and the gates of hell are the gates of death, Psalm 9.13. And the church is not going to be held captive by those gates. We have a get-out-of-hell-free card. We have a get-out-of-death-free card. I mean, we don't even go there. Our soul and spirit immediately goes to be with Jesus when we die, and we come back with him to get our body, and so it's all good. So the gates were a place where pagan priests would offer sacrifices like, uh, like they wanted to offer to Jupiter, who they thought Barnabas was Jupiter, and, and that Paul was Mars in Acts 14, verse 13. And yet, the place that wisdom cries out from is in those gates because they are the chief place of concourse, Proverbs 121. In Israel, the gates of a place were where the governors ruled over the city and over the lives of the people, so they would finalize business, Genesis 23. They would authorize marriage, Ruth 4. They would, uh, judges would settle disputes, uh, Amos 5 and Zechariah 8. People met in the courtyard of the gates, Prophets preached from the pulpit in the gates. Rulers judged from the bench in the gates. Because not only must justice be done, it must seem to be seen to be done in society. So the king addressed his subjects from the gates. I mean, he had a raised platform, the bema seat, what we call the judgment seat, which was just uh, his throne on a public stage. So a cobblestone causeway ascended to the city gate, and beyond the doors of the outer gate was a courtyard before you got to the inner gate. 
So David sat between two gates, according to 2 Samuel 18, verse 24. And you can have war, not just in the city, but in those gates. Judges 5, 8. That is the war that we prepare for. We are to put on our whole armor and stand between the gates. We stand. We're the only thing standing between the gates of hell and getting out and the kingdom. We've got the keys to open and close doors. That key was fastened onto a shoulder strap that was like an epaulette on a military uniform or a bomber jacket. And when those, that key was given to somebody else by the king, those keys conveyed governmental authority. Isaiah 9.6. The rule is going to be on his shoulder, meaning the key. Isaiah 22. So we now have the keys to bind on earth what is coming out of hell's gates... And angels in heaven, who are our ministering spirits, are going to make it so up there in agreement with our action right down here. Matthew 18, verse 18 and 19. <coughs> so be looking, getting ready to look at 2 Thessalonians 3, because while we are binding what is coming out of hell, we are also loosing and opening access to Jesus' kingdom. So we've got the keys to close the gates of hell and keys to open the kingdom. We've got the keys to loose from bondage those who have been bound by hell. What are the keys? Let me dispel your ignorance. We have the key of knowledge, Luke eleven fifty two, 52. And we have the key of David, Revelation 3, 7. All right, if you don't have God's words in your language right now, you do not have the key of knowledge. And if you do not have the attitude toward that book that David had toward God's words in Psalm 119, you don't have the key of David. So you got to have the right book and the right attitude about that book. And you use those keys because they're connected to the embassy above and you are acting as its ambassador. And those two keys are connected because the key of David is the key attitude and the understanding of biblical authority, which is the key of knowledge. Now watch, watch how it works in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Uh, pray for us that a lot of people get saved. Wait, that's not what he says. Well, pray for us that uh, Jesus would be glorified. That's not what he says. You know what? I think they had a Blue Springs revival in Thessalonica. This is a Blue Springs revival right here. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. We need to pray. Revival in this community would be that the true word of God would have free course in our society and be glorified by them even as it is here with us. An ambassador only acts effectively when he's talking to his home government and getting their word and their authority and their permission to act on behalf of that kingdom in a foreign land. The open door over there results from our use of the keys here, and it's an open door for the free course of the word and the preaching of the gospel. 
in order for Jesus to build his church through you. You need to let this come together for you today so that you can escape a vain, wasted life and being ruined in March's madness and mess. Verse 16 of Matthew 10, Jesus says, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Okay, wise is wise. Okay, wisdom, I get that from the Word of God. Dove, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit answers to the Word. And we are sheep standing between the gates of the wolf's lair. So we live in two worlds, this world and heavenly places. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. And we stand here on earth as ambassadors for Christ who is in heaven, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, Matthew 18, verse 20. Therefore, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. By his spirit, because his spirit answers to his word, and those two or three witnesses assemble to confirm a legal judgment which the Lord of lords and the King of kings has made against the wolves and in favor of lost souls. There is no authority where there is disunity over that agenda. There is no authority if we do not have unity over that agenda. we got to understand the fight that has formed who the enemy is, who the Son of God is, what we have in Him, and what His vision and mission is for us. Because when you operate in his authoritative word in line with his authoritative vision to fulfill his authoritative mission, then you operate with the keys and you operate with his authority. So Jesus has a mission and you can still see his vision and in the final analysis, then we raise up out of here. It's discovery number four. Your answer to his question and your service in his mission is critical for God's purpose for your soul in eternity. Jesus did not tell his disciples, you need to live and think like the pagans, but he did want him, them to see how the pagans live and think. He wants us to see, as if we cannot, what hell is like in a community. Oh, we see what hell is like in our community. Every day, every newscast... Every, every killing, we see what hell's like in our community. Every addiction, every suicide, every drug overdose, we see what hell is like in our community. Our society giving up Judeo-Christian values, our schools boxing out any biblical worldview. We see what hell is like. You need to understand what is at stake in the fight that has formed. Because in Jesus' absence, we are to build a whole new body known as the church. And he wants us to realize we're in a struggle with devils in order to do it. Jesus wants you to know you're in a struggle with an ungodly world. Because that knowledge is what is going to free you to escape it. A world that does not think like we do. A world that does not act like we do. A world that is held captive by Satan at his whim. And his power of sin, guilt, and shame, and selfishness. 
Now, we talk about mental health issues all the time. You know why they exist? Because of sin, guilt, shame, and, and selfishness, and there ain't no drug going to solve that. There ain't no therapy that's going to solve that. We have the only key. You and I are called by King Jesus. We are commissioned to change the world around us. We can't save the world. We can't save the country. We can't save our city. But we, you can save the people around you. Get them involved in a Blue Springs revival. Because it is into this ring, this arena of pagan superstition and struggle and sin that you are called by God to stand and fulfill his mission and find your reward. But to fight the good fight, you got to earnestly contend for the faith, so you better learn to box. Now I see why you're not getting this, because you're still thinking about that young 12-year-old boy who had his red bike stolen, he wanted to whoop up on the thief. Well, his amateur debut was in 1954. He went on to win six Kentucky Golden Gloves titles and two National Golden Gloves titles and an AAU national title, and then the light heavyweight gold medal in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. His amateur record was 100 wins, 5 losses, and that boy's name was Cassius Clay. And he turned pro in 1960, and he had a master record of 19 and zip. And 15 of those 19 matches were ended with a knockout. And he became Sonny Liston's top contender for the world championship title. You know, Cassius Clay was a 7-to-1 underdog in that match. But when he won it at the age of 22... He became the youngest boxer ever to take a title from the reigning champ. Soon after, he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. And, you know, he was, he was just the same as a lot of fighters in his time. He worked out just like they did. He boxed just like they did. He sparred just like he ran for miles in preparation for every fight just like they did. But he had one distinguishing difference that gave him the edge. Whenever he put on those gloves, he said, you know, to this day, I never found my bike. But every time I get in that ring, I look across at my opponent. And I say to myself, that is the guy that stole my bike. Every time the devil wants to test you and tempt you and get over on you, you need to know something that will help you. He is the one who steals your kids. He is the one who wrecks your marriage. He is the one who gets you addicted. He is the one who handcuffs you. He is the one who will make it so you cannot escape. Either not escape being lost, and therefore you are in hell. Or if you're saved, not escape the spirit of the age in this present world order to get involved in Jesus' mission and vision. And all I'm trying to say is, if, if we're going to have a Blue Springs revival, you better learn to box. Every head bowed, every eye closed. 
You know, the problem for most Christians is that we don't understand what hell's really like. We've never been to its gates. We've never seen the emptiness and the evil that lives on the other side and exits to ensnare your family. We don't see it that way. We don't understand it that way. We don't know what the problem is. Therefore, we look for things which are not the real solutions. You know, Jesus is the rock, but he's not just throwing stones at Satan, and neither am I. We are bonded. We are being built for this battle. It is a battle for souls. It results... Its results are seen in your eternal destiny. Hell attacks your children through deception, 2 Corinthians 11. Hell attacks us with discouragement, Galatians 6, 9. But if you will build your house in God's house, which is built on Jesus himself, then even hell's gates cannot overcome it. You will be the overcomer, binding the devil's hell, and loosing people to live in Christ's kingdom. Don't you want that today? Our community is infected, but Jesus has a vision. Our society is afflicted, but Jesus has a mission. Escape the future that the devil and his angels have for you with them and enter into the purpose God has for your soul in eternity. If you're saved, you need to escape the ignorance of the world and the ignorance of the rest of Christianity and evangelicaldom and even Baptisthood who do not believe that they have a Bible. That they really have a Bible. They have something they call a Bible. Well, you know, there are some people who believe they're Christians because they or their church calls themselves Christians. You need to escape. You need to know what it is. You need to understand the adversary. You need to see the battle is formed. You need to learn out of box. And if you've not yet been born again, you need to escape the ignorance of the lost. Who do you say Jesus is? Your answer is the key. And notice how God has revealed the true identity of Jesus to you through his word. Will you believe on him for everlasting life? I mean, only you can respond for you concerning Jesus. Now is the day for you to escape. All you got to do is pray. Just your heart to God, knowing that he hears. Just pray. Even right now, just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. Don't save me for my sake. I ain't worth nothing. You already know that. I'm trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross for me. He's not still up there. He didn't just die to save me. No, I believe. I believe. Save me for Jesus' sake. So I'm trusting Jesus today for exactly what he promises, everlasting life. So here, Jesus, I give you my life. Go ahead and stand if you would, and let's uh, get ready for the praise team to send us out singing. If you prayed and trusted Jesus today, please come forward and let uh, one of our altar counselors here at the front uh, give you a book that I've written on next steps for new believers. If you need prayer, if you want to you know, if you want to be prayed with, prayed over, or prayed for, come up here and let them know, and either they'll pray with you, we we'll get somebody who will pray with you and pray for you, 
Uh, if you attend here, but you're not a member here, you want to join, come up and let us know. If you are saved, but you've never been baptized, you want to get in on that, then go all in. Next time we do baptisms, come up and let us know. Next Sunday, we're going to show you exactly, and we'll show the people you bring with you, exactly how to escape your fears.